All right, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. I am going to continue to preach on the prosperity that comes from wisdom this morning from verses 5 through 8. And you can find it on page 528 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Guys, we love God's Word. We want to open it. We want to sit under it. So please open your Bibles and have it there in front of you. Now, friends... The amaze, it never ceases to amaze me that God, the God of the universe, the God who owns all things, the God who is over all things, the God who is perfectly holy and righteous in all his ways, desires to bless his people. He loves them. He's committed to their good. He wants to see his people live well. And because of that, God makes promises to his people to give us long life and peace, to give us favor and success that we saw last week in verses 1 through 4. God is committed to our good. But God, we're, as we continue through Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to see that God also promises to us understanding and straight paths. He promises to us healing and refreshment. He promises abundance and wealth and Love and acceptance and riches and honor. Like he's committing that to his people. This is amazing. Basically, God is telling us in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, that if we listen to his counsel, we will live well. We will live life to its fullest. Now, friends, let's be honest with ourselves right now. I mean, who doesn't want that? That sounds amazing, right? Is anybody just not in favor of that this morning? Just like, you know, I, I, nah, it's okay, I'll pass. I mean, God is amazing. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? Like, we, we tend to read passages like this one that speak of God's desire to bless his people as some sort of ultimate promise of earthly fulfillment, right? That if we just do these things for God, then God is obligated to bless us far more than we put in, right? He's going to give you a whole lot more than what you could ever give to him. If you just do this little bit for God, God is going to give you a ton. And we ground that in this world. We ground that in blessing and favor here and now. We want it right here in our own ways rather than seeing it in the ways that God is ultimately promising us. We treat God as if he's some sort of I don't know, lonely grandpa, that if you just go and you spend a little bit of time with him, you know, you just go fishing with him or whatever, grandpa's going to spoil you. He's going to give you lots of candy. He's going to, you know, give you lots of money. He's going to give you lots of squeezes or whatever, the, you know, whatever it is he wants to do. But he's going to bless you, right? We treat God that way, but we know that there's so much more to it than that, that you can't use God to get prosperity. What God is actually saying to us is, listen, forget all that. Pursue me with all your heart, and you will find prosperity. There's a huge difference in those statements, isn't there? If you pursue God with all your hearts, you will find true prosperity. And so we, what we saw last week, we will find long life and peace, favor and good success in the sight of man. And the main idea that, that God was communicating to us in verses 1 through 4 is that life is lived fully when we devote ourselves to the Lord wholly. That's what we saw in verses 1 through 4, that we will find prosperity when we are wholly devoted to God. Now, this morning's passage, verses 5 through 8, are going to build off of that concept. And, and really, it starts with a question, a question that we have to ask all of ourselves, right? We've got to do a little heart probing right here and right now. 
What is it that you trust in? What do you rely upon? What do you look to? What, where do you go to basically help you to live well? You see, we're always trusting in something or in someone. We're always relying upon something or someone to help us to live well, to improve our lives. If you think back over the course of your life and every decision that you have ever made, whether it be a big decision or a small one, you are trusting in something. You are looking to something that ultimately motivated you to make the decision that you did, whether it be good or bad. There was something coming into play, something that was pulling at your heart that you were relying upon saying, if I follow that, my life is going to be better. And maybe it didn't prove that way, but at least that's what you were thinking. See, we ultimately trust in something, something that will give us and prove upon our life. And it could be something that's just like really impersonal, uh, at least non, <laughs> not a personality, right? It could be our health, could be our wealth, could be our circumstances, It could be something that's maybe it's like personal, but it's just a bit more removed. It's a bit more indirect, like we're trusting in the wisdom of the books that we read, what experts have to say on that issue. Maybe you're trusting in your teachers or your faculty or your bosses or the board of trustees, right? If you can't trust in the trustees, who are you going to trust in? I mean, it's in the name, right? You got to trust in the trustees, could be much more intimate in the caring relationship of a spouse or your family members, of your church or your friends. It could be in the Lord, that you're trusting in the Lord. But I think that if we dug really deeply, we would find what is most immediate, what we tend to rely upon the most and look to the most to improve and to fulfill our lives. We trust in ourselves. We trust in our wisdom and our abilities, and our strength, and our intellect, in our own feelings, whatever it is, we're trusting in ourselves first and foremost. And so friends, what, what do you trust in? What do you rely upon to help you to live well? Now our passage this morning is, is going to contain two of the most familiar verses in the Bible. These verses are right up there with John 3.16 as far as Verses that people know and they love. But we have a tendency to misapply these verses. And so we want to look at them carefully. Our passage holds out for us the promise of understanding and straight paths. That God will make our paths straight. But it also promises healing and refreshment to us if we would just fear the Lord. But let's not be so focused on the gifts of prosperity that are held out to us that we neglect the most important point, that we are to trust absolutely, to trust completely upon the giver. That's what this passage is calling us to. Because similar to the main idea of last week, the key point of this passage is that life is lived fully when we trust in the Lord completely. Life is lived fully when we trust in the Lord completely. Now again, our passage this morning is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. But for context, I want us to read verses 1 through 12. So let's begin Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your hearts keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. 
Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, just like last week, there are two promises of prosperity that are offered to us alongside of long life and peace. Favor and good success in the sight of God and man we have here this morning. God promising that we can gain understanding and that God will make straight our paths. God promises to us that we will find healing and refreshment. And so first, in that very, very familiar passage to us, God holds out for us understanding and straight paths. Friends, does anybody not want their paths to be straight? We just intuitively, we want to live well. There's no one here. Trust me, no matter how masochistic or just down on yourself you are, there's no one here that doesn't think to themselves, you know what, I would like for my life to go better than what it currently is. I would like to see just my life improve. And when we think about that, we often think in terms of life's path, the direction that we're heading, right? And what we want to do is we want to know where we're going and we want to know how we're going to get there. We want to know the means, every step that we're supposed to take. We want this to be laid out for us, right? We want everything to be set out and we want that path to be as straight and as smooth and as easy and efficient as possible, right? I want to be able to see the end before I ever take one step out the front door. Don't give me this deer path through thorns and across rivers and over mountains. I don't want that kind of path. What I want is the big 20-lane highway that is pothole-free and construction-free. And while we're at it, let's make it car-free because you can get in my way. So I want to be able to set the cruise control at 200 miles an hour and to be able to go and take a nap in the back and still be able to arrive at my destination accident-free and in record time. I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, that's what I want. I want that kind of ease. I want it to be that straightforward. And so when I read this promise, that's what I want God to do for me. God, I want to trust in you and I want you to make my path straight. But here's the problem, guys. We often think about this in terms of my path. It's not what the path that God has me on, it's the path that I want to take and I want God to come alongside me and bless it and kind of remove all the obstacles and make it real easy. If we're totally honest with ourselves, we want the way to be easy and the gate to be wide. There's a problem. Life's not that way, is it? It's not even close to that way. I mean, though we may call and cry out to God, there are plenty of times where we just feel like we're going nowhere. 
We're just kind of spinning our wheels. We're stuck in the mud. At times it's even worse. We just feel like we're neck deep in quicksand and we're sinking. There are times where we just feel lost and alone and scared and confused. We're like out in some jungle or some forest somewhere. We've got no compass. We're out there just kind of wandering around in circles and we're just praying that we would not get eaten by wild animals. We feel like despite all of our efforts, all of our clawing, all of our climbing and struggling, we are bloodied and wearied as we scratch our way up the face of some unending mountain. The path of life is not easy, is it? And there's so many times where we feel tired and scared and lonely and confused. We feel like we're just lost in the dark. And in those moments, where do we turn? What do we look to? What do we rely upon for strength and stability to give you direction, to give you purpose, to give you hope? Friends, those things that you turn to when you feel that way, that's what you trust in. That's what you rely upon. That's what you look to ultimately to help you to live well. Maybe you rely upon your education or your work experience. Maybe you rely upon your own wisdom, your strengths, your abilities. Maybe you look to your career or to your family. Maybe you're just like so overwhelmed you want to escape from it all. And so you want to check out through fantasy or through food or through entertainment or through vacation. When life gets hard, when life is scary, when it's confusing, when it's overwhelming, what do you look to? What do you trust in? Where is your hope? God is telling us in, these, in this passage, listen, All of those things are feeble. They cannot satisfy you. They cannot make your path straight. I alone can do that. Trust in me with all your heart. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I said, what does it mean to trust? I mean, really, really trust. What does that look like? To trust someone is to have confidence in their reliability, their truthfulness, their integrity. It's to trust that they, uh, and have a firm belief that they have your best intentions in mind. To trust someone means to feel safe and secure in their care, to believe that they have good intentions towards you. It's to have complete confidence in their character and their purposes, to be unsuspecting with regards to their intentions. It is to rest securely and without fear in your relationship, knowing that they will not ultimately fail you. To trust quite literally means to throw yourself upon someone else. It's like me, like stage diving right off of this platform. You know, I'm just jumping out there and expecting you to catch me. I mean, you would catch me, right? You'd catch me. I'm getting no's. Oh, man. Uh, Thanks for proving the point, though, right? My trust is severely waning in you, Brett. (laughs) Man. But trust is a big deal, right? Trust requires risk. Like jumping off of the stage and expecting someone to catch me, I'm placing my safety and my security in your hands. I'm entrusting my life and my well-being to your care. 
And I'm doing that in complete confidence and in complete assurance to be unassuming and to rest securely in your character and in your intentions. But trust is not only risky. Let's face it, trust is fragile. Trust is easily broken. I mean, this is why truthfulness and faithfulness and integrity are so important to our relationships. How can I entrust my well-being to someone who can so easily disregard it? How can I have confidence and rely upon someone who can or who has hurt me? How can I have complete confidence in someone who seems to be so clueless or careless or at times even cruel? Friends, what do we do when people break our trust? What do we do when those things that we rely upon fail us? Well, we distrust them and we turn inward and we rely upon ourselves. Or we find different things to trust in. New relationships, things that I can control, things that will help me to instantly gain what I want, things that I think that I can rely upon in those moments. And so what we end up doing, because let's face it, we're sinners, we're not completely trustworthy, we fail people, we break down trust, we've all ruined it, we've all done it. The, re- the, the result of that is that we fail to trust fully in anything, right? That we trust somewhat, but not entirely. We think it's foolish for us to completely rely upon anything, to put all of our eggs in one basket. And so just like we don't trust in the fluctuating stock market, so what we do is we diversify our trust, right? I'll place a little of my trust over here, and I'll put a little of it over here, and I'll put a little of it right over here, but most of it, most of it, I'm going to keep it right here. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to keep it close to my heart. I'm not going to divvy it out all over. And I'm not going to entirely trust in anything, even God. We might give him some of our hearts, but we refuse to trust him with all of it. As we got to be honest with ourselves, we are half-hearted people. We are double-minded. Our hearts are divided. Rather than throwing ourselves entirely upon the Lord, we might throw out a Hail Mary prayer. It's kind of Jesus take the wheel at times. We might trust in him with some of our hearts, but we still want to rely upon and look to those things that we think that we can use to determine the course of our lives so that we can assure that we get the lives that we want so that we can live well on our own terms. And friends, why do we do that? This is important. Why do we not trust in the Lord with all our hearts? Why do we not look to him entirely? Well, it's because when life gets hard, when life gets painful, when it gets confusing, when it gets dark, when you're filled with sadness and loss and doubt, when it seems like you're going nowhere, despite all of your effort, we look to this promise that's right here before us, and who do we blame? blame God. When we grumble, when we're discontent, we're just scrambling for something, we're saying, God, I can't trust you. You're untrustworthy. Look at my life. Look at what's happening to me. 
God, I'm trusting you, but, but my paths are not being made straight. I'm not getting to where I want to go. I can't even see a path before me, let alone a straight path. And so what we do is we begin to question God. We wonder if he's really there. We wonder if he's forgotten us. We wonder if he even cares about us. Has he left me? Has he forsaken me? We become impatient. We become disloyal. And we begin to place our trust in other things. And even in that, even when God is working and he's, he's showing himself, he's revealing himself, we have a difficult time even receiving and acknowledging his care because it's not what we want. Friends, waiting on the Lord requires trust in his nature and his character, his purposes and his promises. It's resting securely in that God has not forgotten you. Obeying God requires that he that we trust that he is not keeping something good from us. But yet so often we wonder, where is he? Where did he go? Why do I feel so alone? Has God abandoned me? Why is this so hard? Why can't God just give me good? When life is not going the way that we think that it should, or when it seems like the Lord is failing to keep his promises, we doubt him. And we are more inclined to distrust the Lord with all our hearts than we are to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. And so rather than leaning solely upon him, we lean on our own understanding. But God is saying, listen, don't trust in your heart. Trust in me with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Lean on me. With all your understanding, lean on my understanding. We are to trust God entirely and exclusively. Just like that stage dive, trusting God by throwing our whole selves upon him, we are to lean upon God's understanding, knowing that he knows what is best. We don't, but he does. Friends, you get the concept of leaning, right? I mean, we're not leaning if, if we rest our hand on a table. We're not leaning just because we shift our weight more to one foot than another. We're not leaning because we happen to put our finger down on top of something and say, Oh, Lord, I'm trusting in you. Look, I'm leaning on you. Because when that, what we do is like when that table breaks or when somebody comes along and your weight's off balance, you know, somebody comes and pushes you, you know, you might be like, ah, for a second, but you're like, oh, wait, I'm fine. I'm okay. Didn't really need him after all. But that's not the kind of leaning that God is talking about. He's talking about leaning so much that you put your full weight upon him. You look to him for the entirety of your support that if God were to be removed, you would fall flat on your face. Just like trusting someone to jump and throw yourselves upon them. You're leaning on him in such a way that you could not stand up. You could not be supported without him. What are those things that you lean upon? That if God were to remove them, you would fall flat on your face. That if God were to take those things away, you would wonder to yourself, I don't know if I could ever go on. Is it maybe the fact that you can move and you can do things that you have strength and abilities? 
Is it your family or your job or your reputation? What are those things that you lean upon? Now let me ask you this. Are any of those things more sure and more steadfast than God? Trusting God and leaning upon Him means not trusting in our own understanding. Means not trusting in our own ability to discern through the circumstance, to get everything figured out. It's not relying upon our own knowledge and our own wisdom and our own experience and our own finite perspective. And though we know that we lack understanding, this is, this is the insanity of sin, right? I mean, we know we don't have everything figured out, right? I mean, who's, who, anybody here is just like, I know it all? You got know-it-alls in the room here? No, we don't. We know that we don't have it figured out. We know that we lack understanding, but yet we still look to that. We lean to our own understanding rather than God's understanding because leaning is uncomfortable. Leaning makes me dependent. Leaning makes me feel off balance, and I don't want to do that. I want to stand like in the basketball pose, right? I want to put out here, I want to be steady, I want you to be able to push on me and not, not be moved and maybe I'll hold my hand out and I'll, I'll just kind of feel for God because that makes me feel safe. But right now, I'm standing on my own two feet. I don't need God for that. But friends, the leaning that God is talking about here is meant to cause us to feel off balance. Here's a reality check. If you don't feel uncomfortable, if you don't feel dependent, like you're leaning in, like you're off balance... It could be that you're not leaning on the Lord. If your life is such that you, like, there's nothing that is outside of control, and you just feel like you got it, friends, you might just be seeking to stand on your own two feet. You're there in that basketball pose, and you got your hand out, and you're holding out to God because that makes you feel safe. But you're not leaning on Him. We want to stand on our own. It feels safe. It feels secure. But friends, are we really going to trust in ourselves? Are we really going to lean on our own understanding? Is that really better than leaning on God? We, we, by nature, are inclined to foolishly rely upon our own inclinations and our own desires. Scripture tells us time and time and time again that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And that's the reality of what leaning and relying upon ourselves gets us. And we tend to make really crucial life decisions in areas like marriage and finances and vocation, not based upon God's revealed word, not based upon God's wisdom, not based upon his understanding, but in our own understanding, or worse yet, our own feelings. You ever been inclined to make decisions based upon how you felt about something? Well, Proverbs tells us that our own understanding and feelings are unreliable. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man. Man, this feels good. I like this. I think that this is wise. But its end is the way to death. Proverbs 28, verse 26 says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. A man may feel like he would be happier if he were to divorce his wife. 
A mother may feel, not feel like disciplining her children. A man might think and feel like it's fine for him to just kind of not really consider everything. Just go ahead and like, like uproot his family, pack them all up, and move to a different place to go get another job. And there's just going to be other things there. So they leave behind a great church. They leave behind great relationships. They're just like, whatever, it's going to be fine without just thinking prudently. Think wisely about what they're doing. And they end up putting their family in harm's way. Or churches in their quest to grow. They might resort to worldly methodologies that compromise on biblical principles. The wise man does not lean on his own understanding. But he trusts that God's way is best. That God knows best. That God knows better. And the one who chooses his own way arrogantly claims that he knows better than God. But in addition to being tempted to lean on our own understanding, this is a huge problem for us as well. We tend to lean on the understanding of others. Like we'll admit, okay, I I don't have it all figured out. I don't have understanding. And so rather than looking to God and seeking his understanding to seek his wisdom, we'll just go and rely upon the understanding of others and just kind of assume that maybe they got it right. Now, don't get me wrong. We need the counsel of others. God has brought us together as a church to be that to help point one another to Christ, to point one another to truth. But we're not infallible, right? Only God is infallible. We need God's understanding that he has laid out for himself in his word. And if any counsel that we were to receive contradicts that, then we're obligated to follow God and not man. The fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. We have to evaluate the counsel and influence of friends and family members, of all the worldly experts that are out there against the word of God. And this means also that we have to take the courage to stick to what God says. And if what God says goes against their counsel, then we say we love them. But we say, listen, I've got to stick with God on this. He knows what's best. Friends, there in verse 5, God is calling us to trust in him entirely and to lean on him exclusively. This is to depend upon him and not upon ourselves, not upon our jobs, not upon our feelings, not upon our circumstances, not upon our relationships. He's calling us to trust him wholeheartedly and to depend upon him completely at all times. Not just in the bad, but in the good and the bad. In the big times and in the seemingly insignificant times. This is not just those Jesus take the wheel moments where it's like, I've got so far out of control that I'm spinning like mad and it doesn't do me any good to hold on to the wheel so I'm just going to let go and give it up to God. No, it's at all times and in all ways. In everything, trusting in him more than ourselves. You can lean totally upon God for his wisdom and understanding. Even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of disappointment, even in the midst of confusion and darkness and madness, because God, guys, God is for you. How do I know this? Well, first of all, you're here. You exist. Did any of you will yourself into being this morning? She got up this morning and said, you know what? I'm going to choose to cause my heart to beat. I'm going to choose to breathe. 
I've got to be careful on that one because sometimes we might think that we're choosing to breathe. But nevertheless, no. The Bible tells us that God created us. He created us to know him. He created us to live within him. We have life. We have existence because God has allowed it to be so. God not only created us, but God sustains us and the whole universe by the word of his power. It is God who causes the rains to fall. It is God who causes the plants to grow. It is God who causes the sun to rise. It is God who sets the boundaries and allotments to all things. We don't do that, but we have the amazing privilege to benefit from God's grace in our lives and that we have life. We are here and we have life because God himself has given it to us. But even more than that, when we read scripture, when we read God's story of redemption, when we read God's history for his people, and when we personally look back over the course of our own lives, Prince, has God ever ever failed to keep his promises? Has God ever been faithless or proven to be untrue? Sure, he doesn't work in our own timing and he doesn't work in our own ways. But has God ever lied? Has God ever failed to fulfill even one of his purposes? Has God ever made a promise And then gone back later, you know, and said, you know, I know I made this promise for the good of my people. I know I made this promise for the glory of my name, but forget about it. No. God is absolutely trustworthy. And God's wisdom, his goodness, his love, his care, his power, His faithfulness and his grace has never been more clearly displayed than in the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, if you have ever questioned whether or not God is for you, look to Christ. Look to him. God has shown his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He has applied our debt to Christ and we have received his righteousness. We have been given life. We have been given the opportunity to know God and to grow in grace. Friends, there is no guarantee of God's goodness that is greater, God's purpose that is greater, God's faithfulness that is greater than the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And we can have complete confidence that God will work all things, and I mean all things, together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We know this because those whom God has foreknown, he has also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the path that we're on. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And he ends this amazing statement by saying that there is nothing, absolutely nothing then, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing more complete, nothing that will be a greater benefit to your life than knowing that truth. 
It is unfailing. It is eternal. And you can bank on it more than anything else. And because of that, in light of God's faithful care for us and his lavish and sustaining grace in our lives, friends, that God alone is worthy of our wholehearted trust. We can lean extensively, exhaustively, entirely upon him. We can trust in him. So friends, do not fear. Do not fear failure. Do not fear rejection. Do not fear the unknown. You do not have to understand every detail or know comprehensively what God is doing to trust that he is up to your good. He's already proven that in his son. And in light of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ, we are called to trust him. To repent of trusting in our own goodness, and in our own wisdom, and in our own feelings, and in our own abilities, and to put our faith in what God has already done for us through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. But not only are we to trust in Him entirely and exclusively, in light of what God has done for us in Christ, He calls us to trust in Him extensively. Look there at verse 6. He says, In all your ways, acknowledge him. Friends, do you know what it means to acknowledge? It means to know. It means to be aware of. It means to recognize. When you think of acknowledge, I don't want you to think about, okay, I'm walking down the street and there's a stranger walking by me and I just happen to kind of look at him and give him a nod. Hey, how's it going? That's not the kind of acknowledgement God is speaking of. The kind of acknowledgement that God is speaking of here is like when you're at a wedding and they say, all rise to greet the bride and everyone stands and turns and looks at her and they watch her all the way up the aisle. That's the kind of acknowledgement that God is calling us to. What this verse is telling us is that wherever we are, Whatever room we're in, whoever we're with, whatever we're doing, in all our ways, Christians are called to acknowledge that God is the greatest authority in the room. He is most important. He has the greatest claim on our lives. And because he is our Savior, because he is our Lord, we are to honor and obey him. We're not merely to acknowledge God's lordship over our religious life. It's really easy to acknowledge the lordship of Christ when we are sitting here together, singing songs and listening to long sermons. We are to bring God's truth to bear on every aspect of our lives. We trust him in how we run our families. We trust him And how we pursue education, we trust him in our careers, we trust him with our finances and with our friendships. And there's no matter that's too small for God's intentions. Like, if you've been reading through Proverbs, you know, we've kind of set that goal to read through one chapter of Proverbs every day as it's corresponded to the day. We've been doing that as a church. Guys, if you've been doing this, it ought to be painfully aware to you that God cares about every aspect of your life. And that we are called to acknowledge him in every aspect of our lives. And to paraphrase one commentator, it is self-idolatry 
to think that we can carry on even the most ordinary matters without God's counsel. We are to acknowledge him in all of our ways. When we are at home and we're speaking to our spouses or with our kids, are we reflecting the grace of God in our speech? When we're at work, we have this opportunity to advance ourselves if we would only cut corners or sort of fudge a little bit. Are we going to honor the trustworthiness and integrity of God? When we are at home alone at our computers, are we reflecting the moral purity of God and what we look at? In all of our ways, we are to remember that our Lord and Savior is present with us. He is calling us and he is giving us the strength to honor him, to reflect his nature and character, to be conformed into the image of his Son in every aspect of our lives, in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions, and in our attitudes. And this acknowledgement, friends, is not passive. It is active. Someone who acknowledges God in all their ways trusts in him so wholeheartedly that they will sacrifice for Christ. It will be evident to the world around you that you trust in the Lord, that you acknowledge him in all your ways. If you can go through your day and no one can tell that you do not acknowledge God in all your ways, I hate to break it to you, but you do not acknowledge God in all your ways. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart will result in you loving and living differently than the world around you. You'll have different desires, different motivations, different loves, different affections. You'll go after different things. You'll do things that people will look at that and it'll just like, that doesn't make sense. Why do you do that? It's because in all your ways, you acknowledge him. And friends, when we trust in the Lord entirely, exclusively, and extensively, when God's word overrules our thinking and our feelings and our desires, when God's word overrules our beliefs and our plans and our agendas for our lives, then God promises that he will make straight our paths. We cannot make our paths straight. You are not wise enough. You are not good enough. You are not smart enough. You are not strong enough. You do have, not have the right network to be able to accomplish straightening your own paths on your own terms. Only God can make your path straight. But let's not be confused here. This straight path that he's speaking of is not easy street. It's not like if you do these things for God, then God's just going to make life really, really good. That you're just going to be able to float through life and it's going to be fantastic. The straight path that he's speaking of here is the upright path. That word straight means upright. That means that it's God's path. This is not your path. This is not your plan, your agenda for your life. It is God's. It's what he would have you to do. And when you are on God's path, God's straight path, you will find him and you will become more like him and your souls will be satisfied in him. 
And so what that doesn't mean is that God is going to remove all of the hindrances and the obstacles and the difficulties and the challenges. What it means is God's going to use all those things to lead you to him so that you might find him and become like him and to love him and to be satisfied in him. Everything that happens in your life, that straight paths, that's a metaphor for the wisdom-guided life. That is a life that pursues God wholeheartedly, a life that avoids the hazards and dangers that come with sin and disobedience because we know that it is futile. We know that it cannot satisfy us. The path of the wicked is crooked as opposed to that which is straight. The wicked path, the crooked path leads to dangers and leads to regret and death. But the path of the righteous, the path of wisdom, the straight path leads to life. It leads to light. It leads to blessing in God. It's the straight path is God's path. It's not our own path. But in reaching the destination, we will find satisfaction for our heart's every longing. Far more than in any other path that we could take. That gift of prosperity that is held out for us, understanding in straight paths, if we would just trust in him with all our hearts, is that God will lead us through the course of life, through all the summits and all the valleys, through all the dangers and all the confusions and all the darkness and at times all the the great delights and joys that this life can bring. And in the end, he will lead us to himself. That is the straight path that the Lord sets out for us. Trusting in the Lord completely will result in understanding in straight paths. But that's not all. I've got seven and eight to deal with, much shorter, like always, right? Because it builds off of everything we've talked about so far. When we fear the Lord, not only will we have understanding in straight paths, but we will find healing and refreshment. It says there, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, like I've said before last week and I've said already this week, uh, we, uh, behind every true longing of our hearts, there is this deep desire that can only be satisfied in God. Okay, that behind that desire for healing and refreshment is God. He is the ultimate goal. Whether that be long life and peace, favor and success, understanding or straight paths, healing and refreshment is no exception because we recognize intuitively that there's something at uh, the core of our being that rightly asks, how can we be whole? How can we be complete if we're sick and hurting? How can we be at peace and in well-being if there's this aching hunger and unrelenting thirst in our souls? That's a real concern. That's an honest question. But we have to determine how we find the answer. We've experienced this deep heartfelt longing over the last six months in the life of our church with the lives of two of our infants here in our congregation, Etta and Sawyer. We have prayed that the Lord would protect and heal them that he would strengthen them and add to the length of their days. And by God's grace, we have seen him answering those prayers. And we continue to pray for healing and for refreshment for the Bilesmas and for the Dawes family. But at the same time, we understand 
that there's an even greater need for healing and refreshment that goes beyond open heart surgery and treatment for failing kidneys. Our deepest need is for healing and refreshment to come to our souls. We don't want to stop praying just at physical needs. We also want to pray for our deepest spiritual needs. Renewal, restoration to come to us, body and soul. This is why verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Being wise in our own eyes is the opposite of trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Being wise in your own eyes means that you're leaning solely upon your own understanding. Being wise in your own eyes is the opposite of living in the fear of the Lord and acknowledging God in all of your ways. Proverbs 26 verse 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Those who are wise in their own eyes, they boast in their own accomplishments, but those who fear the Lord are humble. Those who are wise in their own eyes, they trust in their own abilities, their own accomplishments, their own intellect to help them to succeed in life. But those who live in the fear of the Lord recognize that there is no true and lasting success apart from God. And so they trust in His wisdom, His goodness, His love, His provision, His understanding, His plan and purposes as being far more than they do their own. Those who are wise in their own eyes don't consider themselves to be sinners, or at least they're not as bad as all the others. They believe that they're smart enough to make good decisions that can honor the Lord on their own terms. But those who fear the Lord realize that their reasoning is tainted by sin, that they have made mistakes and they have committed wrongs and sin and they will do so again. And so they eagerly seek God's wisdom rather than relying upon their own. The fear of the Lord is a deep, heartfelt reverence and respect for God. It is an adoring and worshiping submission to God for all that He is and for all that He has done for us in Jesus Christ. We look to Him. And when we fear the Lord, it frees us from fearing other things. When we fear the Lord, it frees us from the fear of rejection or the fear of failure, the fear of loneliness, or the fear of hurting our careers. When we fear the Lord, it replaces the fear of death, the fear of pain, the fear of illness, the fear of poverty. Because here's the thing, you are going to fear something. Either you will fear the Lord, or you will fear everything else. But the one who fears the Lord will not only reject being wise in his own eyes, he will also turn away from evil. He realizes there is no profit in sin. He calls it for what it is. This is evil. This is foolishness. This is futility. And though it promises excitement and pleasures, though it promises independence and bliss, in reality, it leads only to death and to enslavement and to condemnation. It cannot and it will not give us what it is promised. Friends, we all know that sin absolutely wrecks us. I mean, just think about the effects that sin has had. Think about the effects that Adam and Eve's sin has had on all mankind. They were banished from the presence of God. Life became hard and difficult. There was toil, there was sweat, there was pain. 
disease, disability, all entered into the world. There were thorns. I'm pretty sure that's when the Lord introduced mosquitoes into the created order. Was it Genesis chapter 3? Guys, we see that there's, there's pain, there's hardship, there's just enslavement, there's this wars raging, there's this strife and hostility, and we're all fighting to gain control, and we're going against one another to do that. And let's not forget about death and eternal condemnation. You know, if we were to have a conversation with Adam, I promise you that Adam would never say, man, but that fruit was so good. Man, if I could do it all over again, I would. Now, we're told from Romans chapter 8 that even creation groans because of his sin. I mean, think about the effects that sin has had on your own life. Think about the scars and the pain that you carry. Think about the guilt and the shame. Think about the brokenness and the darkness and the confusion. Think about how it has ruined relationships, how it has destroyed trust and intimacy. Man, sin plagues us like a cancer, like a disease. And it's so weird because in one sense we hate it. We know that it cannot satisfy, but yet we find ourselves going back to it again and again. Sin is a curse to us. And not to mention all the physical effects of disease and disability and death have had as a result of sin. How much sorrow and pain and grief and loss we experience in our hearts. Is it any wonder then that we long for healing and we long for refreshment? And so the one who fears the Lord turns away from evil. He repents of his sin and seeks by God's grace to follow God's ways, trusting that God's way is for our best. It is the way of true and lasting blessing, of of healing and refreshment to our souls. And so when we look at verse 8, we have to interpret verse 8 through verse 7, right? Right? If we're humble and if we fear the Lord, if we turn away from evil, it will bring healing and refreshment, or healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. And so we can't just say, well, this is speaking of flesh and bones. It's not speaking of spiritual healing and refreshment. But friends, we know that this cannot prove true, right? I mean, you know this, right? Like if, if God promises in this passage and ones like it, that all this is speaking of is physical healing and physical refreshment, then friends, why do Christians die? I mean, why do faithful Christians who are doing everything that this passage calls them to experience such physical pain and suffering? If you've ever gone to our blog, it's been a while ago, 2011, but I wrote a blog entry on a guy named Chip Stam. Chip was... Um, he was a professor of worship and church music at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary where I went to school. And he was also the worship leader at Clifton Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, where Phyllis and I were members. And, and I was a deacon there. I was the deacon of sound and media. And so what that means is I got to work with Chip all the time. I got to see how he lived his life. I got to see how he loved the Lord. And I can tell you, I learned more about worshiping God from Chip than I have in the dozens of books that I have ever read on that issue. Chip exuded joy. 
Chip was a living embodiment of Psalm 96. In 2007, Chip was diagnosed with bone cancer. And he fought it for four years. Lots of ups and downs, lots of difficulties before it eventually claimed his life. But through it all, Chip never lost his joy. And I remember after coming up here, hearing a story from one of our friends who was uh, still there in Clifton. And he told us of an occasion where he went to visit Chip in the hospital. And this was one of, during one of the really, really bad times for Chip. I mean, he was very sick, throwing up all the time. His, his hair had all fallen out. He was weak. Um, and, and you had to, just to even go into the room, you had to put on one of those hospital masks just to see him. Well, my friend goes and visits Chip and walks into the room with his mask on and he rounds the corner. And much to his surprise, though pale and weak, sitting there in his hospital gown, Chip has this huge smile on his face. And he's looking at pictures of birds on his laptop. And my friend's just kind of shocked by this, like, Chip, what are you, what are you doing? I mean, his demeanor doesn't all, at all match the situation that he was experiencing right there and right now. I'm like, Chip would literally throw up and then he would go back to smiling and looking at these birds. And he's like, Chip, what are you doing? He says, well, remember Jesus said to us, be anxious for nothing, but consider the birds. He was speaking of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Chip delighted just in, in the Lord and just watching birds, looking at birds. And that was the kind of joy, the kind of faithfulness, the kind of fear of the Lord Chip exuded his entire life, even in the last moments of his life, as he sang and prayed and read scripture with his family before he closed his eyes and was gone. Because Chip understood, and for those who are in Christ, it is not death to die. And so, if verse 8 is guaranteeing to us healing to our flesh and flesh and refreshment to our bones, then why? Why did Chip die? If faith results in healing, why do guys like Benny Hinn charge so much for you to go and see them perform? Why do they stick to the big arenas? Why do they not go and enter into the hospitals? Why does it seem like the Holy Spirit is more than sufficient to help people with their back pain, but they cannot deliver them from cancer or from failing kidneys or from tetralogy fallows? Friends, it's because this whole thing was meant to point us to something so much more than healing of our flesh and refreshment to our bones. God is saying if you humble yourself and you turn away from sin, if you trust in me completely, I will heal you of your sin. I will restore you. I will renew you and you will dwell with me complete in perfect well-being body and soul forever. That's what I'm going to do. And so why is flesh and refreshment to bones being mentioned here? Well, it's because sin affects us at a physical level, doesn't it? I mean, that's really what he's getting at. Sin, when we are in sin, we experience anxiety. We experience sweats. 
sleeplessness, loss of appetite. Guilt over sin can raise our blood pressure. It can cause shortness of breath, heart palpitations, and ulcers. It can result in nausea, in dizziness, in fainting, in aches and pains all over our bodies. We can experience numbness and tingling in our extremities, in hallucinations, and we can even feel like we're going out of our minds. And that's just a short list of the physical effects of sin in our life. But David tells us in Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Why? Well, listen to the physical effects of his sin. He said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up As by the heat of summer. But David continued. But I acknowledge my sin to you. And I I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice O righteous. And shout for joy all you upright in heart. Friends, when we trust in the Lord completely, not only will we gain understanding and straight paths, but every curse, every effect of sin will ultimately be undone. The grace of God in Jesus Christ will bring healing and refreshment, not just to our souls, but also to our bodies, because we know that our Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And so because of that, we know that that which is mortal will be swallowed up by immortality. We know without a doubt that that is true. And so we, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. God guarantees us that when we fear him and when we turn away from evil, God will bring healing to our hearts. He will bring refreshment to our whole being, body and soul, and he will do that for all eternity. And so though we may suffer for a time, though we may waste away and die, we can be sure that and have this unbelievable hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that understanding and straight paths will be ours, that there will be healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We can trust in the eternal purposes of God. He will not fail us at all. And so we trust in him completely. And so friends, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Because, friends, life is lived fully when we trust in the Lord completely. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for such great and precious promises. God, we thank you that you have loved us despite our sin and that you have given us far much more than just temporary earthly benefits that you offer to us eternal good. You've shown us that that deep down behind every one of these desires that we have is a longing that is meant to and can only be satisfied in you and that you guarantee that you will fulfill it through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. God, forgive us for where we're short-sighted. Forgive us for the times when we lean on our own understanding and, and we fail to trust in you with all our hearts. Forgive us for being wise in our own eyes. Forgive us for fearing other things more than you and, and to indulge in evil rather than to turn away from it. But God, we thank you that your promise rests not in our ability, not in our perfect obedience, not in our absolute trust, but in the perfect sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. And because of what he has done, we have an unbelievable hope. We will be prosperous. We will have success. Not here in silly little things like promotions, but in our eternal peace with you through your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to see that as far better. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.